0: Hi, my name is James Andrella, and you're listening to the Back to Human podcast. Today's guest has quite the extensive resume. He is a board-certified cardiologist and bar-certified attorney, and he is also the author of several books, including Curing the Incurable, which has over 1,200 scientific references regarding vitamin C, which is what we will be discussing on today's episode. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Thomas Levy. Dr. Levy, welcome to the show. Howdy James, glad to be here. Thank you, thank you. So uh, from what I've um, found, you got your introduction to vitamin C through dentistry, no? You were uh, practicing with, I believe it was Hal Huggins was his name? Yeah,
1: back in 1993, I was practicing, I guess you could say, regular mainstream cardiology in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I got to know Dr. Huggins. We met at a conference that was there, and I guess you could say formed a connection with each other. And he invited me to come by his clinic. He had a very large dental clinic, many employees. He had patients come in from around the world, which was fascinating in and of itself. And he said, come by and see what we do. And I did. And I witnessed quite a few things that were certainly never taught to me in medicine, not even remotely. And as I like to say, Dr. Huggins began my real medical education. Uh, in particular, I was visiting one time and a very reasonably elderly lady uh, in a wheelchair, was getting a lot of extensive dental work, and was receiving, you know extractions and other things, the type of things that really knock people out of the out of the uh, mainstream of things, out of out of their rhythm, you know, you take take a few teeth out of a college kid for wisdom teeth and they go to bed for a week. Well, This little old lady got more and more animated, more and more invigorated as the as the dental work went on. And Hal popped into the operatory and I said, what's going on, Hal? And he pointed at the IV. I said, "Okay, I'll bite. What's in the IV? And he said 50 grams of vitamin C. And I said, my goodness, that was brand new to me. But as I like to say, I'm not in the habit of denying what I witness. And what I saw was a clear phenomenon I'd never seen before. And it was literally at that moment that I began my odyssey, if you will, of researching on vitamin C, et cetera, and uh, writing several books. And I eventually, Shortly thereafter, I gave up my cardiology practice and began to work with Dr. Huggins.
0: Okay, so you gave up your cardiology practice. And so what what was your form of treatment afterwards? Was anything that you were doing prior, did anything work? Or, I mean, this was just like a life changer and you saw me... Well,
1: cardiology is somewhat unique in the medical subspecialties insofar as, and I say this somewhat cynically, but with all sincerity, so much of what modern medicine does no, no good at all and oftentimes make things worse because it doesn't really treat the underlying pathophysiology, but just glosses over symptoms and pretty much allows the disease to continue to evolve. Uh, And in this case, uh, in the case of cardiology, I would be seeing people who already had heart disease, already had blockages, and the medications that cardiology uses do help relieve symptoms. Their procedures do help prolong life. So uh, compared to some of the other medical subspecialties, um, I certainly felt, and even in retrospect, that I was doing some good, but not from the point of view of actually understanding what was causing disease understanding how to stop the evolution of that disease and in some cases even being able to reverse the disease so it was all a mixture of that yes and uh so you said
0: how these these medications or whatever they're treating the symptoms but they're not getting to the root cause and i've actually come across one of your powerpoints where uh how would you define disease then Is there multiple different diseases or is there just like one disease, quote unquote, disease?
1: That's an interesting way of putting it and the short answer to your question is yes, there's just one disease and that's too many oxidized biomolecules in various locations. Oxidation is when you take an electron away from a molecule. Reduction is when you give the electron back again. And what happens when you oxidize? A good example of oxidation is rust. Okay, so you metal rust, it deteriorates. Well, when you oxidize and don't repair, things deteriorate. What happens though is inside the cells, you have different biomolecules: uh, RNA, DNA, proteins, sugars, uh, enzymes, etc. And when you take an electron or one or more electrons away from those molecules, oxidize them, they either partially or completely lose their biological function. In other words, they no longer can participate in a metabolic activity or reaction like they used to. And the more you get of biomolecules being oxidized in various locations, the more quote unquote disease you have. Now, what causes All diseases are pro-oxidants, which is also a toxin. A toxin is a pro-oxidant. A pro-oxidant is a toxin, is a free radical, is a reactive oxygen species, is a poison. Those are all synonyms. Those all mean the same thing, and they all mean they're substances that cause oxidation of biomolecules. That's the only way a toxin hurts you. Is it causes oxidation where you don't want it to occur? And I saw this early on because I knew for a fact early on that vitamin C, as a powerful antioxidant electron donator, was able to repair so many of the different damages that toxins were able to do. And uh, and it puzzled me because toxins are, I mean, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of toxins. And I asked myself early on, how can one single molecule, vitamin C, neutralize the toxicity of all those toxins? And I say all because there's still not been discovered a toxin that vitamin C can't neutralize. So I'm not saying I saw 200,000 studies on 200,000 toxins, but all of the ones that I saw, vitamin C would neutralize. The only answer was all the toxins have to be causing their damage through a final common pathway that vitamin C can either stop, neutralize, or repair. And so this brings us to the main point, which is you see a lot in the literature about oxidative stress and all diseases having increased oxidative stress And then you see some statements about oxidative stress causing disease. Well, that's close, but that's not completely accurate because oxidative stress is the disease. There is no other disease process going on inside an Alzheimer's cell, a fibromyalgia cell, you name it, any cell has a unique array of different biomolecules in different locations and different concentrations being oxidized, and that's what that disease is. You don't have some additional exotic, can't-put-your-finger-on process going on in an Alzheimer's cell, other than the fact that you have a, a unique array of biomolecules that are oxidized, which then brings to the final really basic but very good conclusion is, All disease then is unrepaired, oxidized biomolecules along with new toxins coming in and oxidizing more biomolecules. So in order to treat disease completely and effectively, you need to repair the old damage and you need to stop the new damage. And it's really, really that simple. Conceptually it's simple, but it's not always easy to accomplish. But this is why I say what modern medicine does is so intrinsically flawed. And not I'm not even gonna say that that they realize it. I don't think they do realize it. Okay, but it's intrinsically flawed because they just designed pharmaceutical drugs and agents to, by whatever mechanism, cover over a symptom, find a way to treat your headache but that particular medication is not doing anything to either repair the old oxidative damage or block the new toxins from coming in that's causing the disease process, that's causing that headache to continue to evolve. So, and this is really the concept of orthomolecular medicine. Orthomolecular medicine started by Dr. Linus Pauling conceptually is when you have ortho, which is the correct or right, ortho, molecular meaning the molecule, the whole concept of orthomolecular is all diseases are deficiencies of one or more nutrients, vitamins, or minerals, agents that your body needs to function normally. And when you deplete those, by whatever reason, then you start to develop problems with excess oxidation. And the only thing that really stops the disease process and eventually repairs the disease process is by restoring those deficiencies. So obviously you can have a deficiency of vitamin C. You can have a deficiency of vitamin D, of magnesium. But you don't have a deficiency of chemotherapy. You don't have a deficiency of... of uh, uh, Asterisk. Blood pressure medications. Now, that's not to say, I don't want to say this, so people don't misunderstand, is that all pharmacological drugs are bad. I am not I mean, there are lots of circumstances where somebody has gotten such an advanced disease process, they never identify the new toxins coming in, usually often from the mouth, so that never gets addressed, and they still have problems that need to be treated example is high blood pressure. Okay. Now, even though high blood pressure is still caused by the same things that we're talking about, which is uh, excess oxidative damage in the blood vessel wall and not in along with new toxins coming in to continue that oxidation. If you're unable to repair the reason for doing it, you still need to very importantly, symptomatically if you will treat the blood pressure okay so uh, you you can't walk around too long with a blood pressure of 180 or 110 before you get a heart attack or a stroke and die so absolutely you need to take the prescription blood pressure agents that are available through your through your physician or healthcare practitioner to to treat that condition so this is where a lot of natural medicine Practitioners, if you will, and they they really go off the rails. I mean, I will definitely say that I think most of modern medicine ultimately is harmful, but not all of it. Okay, and I got to say this too: uh, most of alternative complementary is good, but a little bit of it is bad. So you still need to uh, use the old tool between your shoulders (laughs) and look at everything logically and rationally, and you need to see. Uh, Am I resolving or effectively treating the problem that could be life threatening or cause me problems down the road? So, however, I got to say this, there's uh, probably blood pressure medications, some agents called calcium channel blockers, some pain relievers. Uh, These are the primary, if you will, drugs, in my opinion, that, are clearly important and essential because in the short term, whatever you might do in orthomolecular medicine, if it doesn't make the symptom go away and you're in excruciating pain, you need to do something. So so that is, that's it sort of in a nutshell.
0: So, I mean, you have to keep the person alive.
1: Exactly. exactly. So exactly. modern
0: medicine does a very good job. And,
1: and a good point of that too. A good point is like, we have ways to literally reverse coronary artery disease, make the blockages go away, okay? Uh, But it involves an involved protocol. However, if you're somebody that's having chest pain right now, you need to go to the emergency room, and if there's a 90% blockage in your heart, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to need to get a balloon or a bypass to get it open again, or you're not going, as you pointed out, survive to the point in time where we can initiate these other measures that can actually start to stabilize and reverse the disease process. So, and that's, again, another place where this more natural medicine goes off the rails is you can't reverse this in five seconds, but you need a, might need a traditional treatment in those five seconds to survive long enough to start to get, get the benefits of the long-term, more natural therapy. I mean, you can't help anyone if they're dead anymore. Correct. So,
0: so there's ultimately like one disease, it's oxidation, and it, it's almost like uh, a focal point. So we we have all these names for the diseases too. Would it be far-fetched to say that you shouldn't even label it that way? Because it's all still that one thing. It's like, uh, like Lyme disease. I don't know if that would apply. Like, are there Differences here. Well, you
1: know, I I guess just for purposes of clarity, you still need to name things. The only problem is, medicine goes so far out of its way to maintain a pseudo sophistication. Uh, I call it abbreviology. I mean, they just like to slap just humongous abbreviations on something. Uh, You read, you you try to read some of these scientific papers that have uh, in every paragraph three dozen different abbreviations, I would I would tell you that these are academic researchers, masters and PhDs, who really don't want to be understood. They want you to be fascinated by the basic concept of their paper, but for goodness sakes, they don't want you to understand it because then you're on the same footing with them. And there's a lot of this, I would consider it to be deliberate obfuscation of trying to make things clear. That's not the goal. I guarantee you in research laboratories is their goal is not to have everybody that comes along receive a simple explanation of what they're doing and an understanding. Yet, unless someone has the ability to clearly explain something to you so that you understand it, then they don't really understand the subject themselves
0: so say we were to go into the research and we were to just like dig into some papers it's got xyz disease could you literally just replace that with oxidation any
1: yeah Yeah. of of different areas of the body different cells of the body different tissues of the body absolutely yeah just a a a unique oxidation pattern in the pancreas is causing diabetes Uh, the same thing for the heart Same thing for the various different nervous system conditions, Uh, all the gut disorders. So it's all basically most of the time because you're swallowing on a 24-7 basis pathogens that have colonized in your nose and throat, even though you're no longer aware of it. And those pathogens have a lot of toxins and oxidized metabolic byproducts. Uh, They contain a lot of free iron, which is highly pro-oxidant. And you swallow that stuff, and this is why you go to the drugstore and you see two or three aisles of different uh, gut symptom relief medications is because most people are in the same boat. And that's the other problem dealing with this stuff is so many people and physicians consider a certain amount of abnormality as you get older normal. Mm-hmm. Or acceptable. I mean, oh, your body's wearing out. You're getting old. You can't, you can't expect not to have joint pain or headaches or this that or the other. That's just natural. Well, that's just BS. That's not natural.
0: It's a uh, common,
1: common, right, common.
0: So, you've seen vitamin C take care of a lot of these diseases. Like, what, what have you seen specifically? If you can get into like a few cases in your practice while you were practicing?
1: Yeah, well, West Nile disease was one of the ones. We had several patients come in that had been suffering for months and after two days worth of intravenous vitamin C, they were perfectly fine. Uh, And that's how quickly it can work. If you're using the right doses too. Uh, There's a, (laughs) sort of sad, but uh, a substantial number of Integrative, non-mainstream practitioners who seem to partially or incompletely embrace the idea of how good vitamin C is. So somebody will come in uh, and they'll maybe start them on a gram a day orally, and they might go so far as to give them an IV of 5 or 10 or 15 grams. Uh, Sometimes it helps a lot. Sometimes it doesn't. The whole point being is a lot of people need 50, 75, 100 gram infusions, okay? And you're not really going to get the benefit you're looking for. It's it's sort of an axiom that if you don't get the relief you're looking for with vitamin C, you just haven't used enough Mm -hmm. for just what we talked about. Mm -hmm. Disease is increase oxidation. So you haven't got enough vitamin C in over a long enough period of time to significantly penetrate all the areas to start repairing more than the new toxins on a daily basis coming in or oxidizing. So
0: antioxidants seem to kind of be the buzzword, especially in like the alternative health field um, but vitamin C does a much better job as an antioxidant than, I guess, like foods like blueberries. You're not going to consume enough antioxidants through.
1: Oh, you know, not, not not even close. And uh, this is this is interesting, too, because. Uh, like I said, all diseases are excess oxidation. Uh, there are some studies out there. I wrote a book called Death by Calcium, and I looked a lot into. The different aspects of osteoporosis. And for example, you can't ingest enough vitamin C in a diet to, by itself, no other sources of vitamin C, but you can't get enough vitamin C dietary wise to stabilize or reverse the effects of osteoporosis, which means to decrease fracture incidence. So that's your measure in osteoporosis in a long-term study is what I'm doing, decreasing the possibility of a fracture. You can't take enough vitamin C in your diet to affect that, but you can very easily supplement enough vitamin C to decrease the chances of a fracture. And that's all a measure of quantity, okay? Uh, As you pointed out, now, absolutely you need the healthiest diet you can find but and if you have a really good diet you'll take care of a large number not all of them not by even a chance you'll take care of a large number of your nutrient requirements but you're never going to have enough vitamin c magnesium or vitamin d there are probably a few others, but those are the three big ones. You'll never get enough of those three in any type of diet you can put together. And a lot of it, again, has to do with the toxins. Okay. We, we've, we've, gosh, we have probably 50 fold more toxins now than we did a hundred years ago, but you got to pay the piper. Okay. If you're, If you're taking it in, it doesn't magically go away just because you can't see inside your body. If you take in 10 parts of toxins, you got to bring in 10 parts of antioxidants down the road or the cumulative effect is more and more and more disease over time. So, uh, and that's the case with magnesium. I mean, you just, it's almost impossible to get enough magnesium uh, in a diet same thing with vitamin D. Maybe if you're a, a, a lifeguard or something like that, you might be able to get enough vitamin D from the sun to not have the need to supplement. But that's not the case with most people. Even those people in very sunny climates, they don't spend much time in the sun, you know? You, you might be living on the equator in, in Ecuador, but you uh, you have your shirt on and your hat and your sunglasses and you step out of your house, spend 10 seconds in the sun getting into your car, uh, 10 seconds and when you get out of your car to get in, you don't spend any time in the sun, okay? So a lot of people just think that because they live in a sunny environment, they got to be getting enough vitamin D, not even remotely the case. And the thing with vitamin C that makes it so uniquely important to supplement regular large amounts of it is we, cle- we have the genetic equipment in our liver and all other animals do to make our own vitamin C, except in our case, we somewhere along the line, genetically lost the fourth enzyme that converts glucose in the liver to vitamin C. All the wild animals, if you give them a stress or an infection, they start making massive, massive amounts of vitamin C to deal with it, okay? We we don't, mm-hmm. so we get, we get a big pathogen exposure. What vitamin C levels we have in the blood rapidly drop because they're being used up and the body wants to see more vitamin C, but it's not being made. So this again, uh, it's not readily appreciated because it's affecting virtually everyone. There are some exceptions, you know, you see, you see your 110 year old grandfather who's been smoking 10 cigars for the last 50 years of his life and his shot of whiskey. I guarantee you, almost to a certainty, that grandpa uh, is evolutionarily capable of making his own vitamin C. And that's why, because uh, all genetic defects are not 100% across the board on 100% of people, everything has variations of degree impact and presence. So there are individuals, and they tend to be our more robust individuals who actually make more vitamin C on a daily basis or make some. Hmm.
0: I'm glad you covered that because I was under the impression that we couldn't make vitamin C at all. And that was actually a, a question that popped up in my head. Could we ever? Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that something that seems as essential as vitamin C is something that the body can't produce itself. So Somewhere along the lines, like, are we missing an organ or something like that? Something crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, and people are completely oblivious to what toxins are in their environment. Um, So right now we're at a real disadvantage when it comes to battling the oxidative stress, things that people would never even consider. So you were speaking about large doses of intravenous vitamin C. What about like the supplementation that people will find literally in their their health food store where it's got maybe 200 milligrams of ascorbic acid? Is there a certain type that you suggest taking? Um, is there some that are not beneficial? I know also in the health uh, the alternative health field right now there's like this battle Whole Food C is better than ascorbic acid what are your thoughts on that? What, what should we be taking in order to get those large doses?
1: Is there something that that whole food vitamin C is what I call marketing garbage. Now I'm not going to say the product is not beneficial. Any product that has vitamin C in it is beneficial. And if you take other, uh, natural products that have their own antioxidant value as well, uh, some of the different things that you find in plants, of course, uh, That helps the vitamin C work even better. Is it essential for the vitamin C to work? Absolutely not. We have 80 years worth of literature showing either ascorbic acid or sodium ascorbate does all these marvelous things all by itself in the right dose. So it's it's either stupid or evil for people to insist that Uh, ascorbic acid is not vitamin C or sodium ascorbate is not vitamin C. And the only real beef I have is number one, confusing people as to what vitamin C really is. And number two, making it so much more expensive for them to take a proper dose. A proper dose is going to be for many people, just a general recommendation, uh, a couple grams, uh, at least two and maybe three times a day. So somewhere between four to six to eight grams of vitamin C spread out throughout the day. Now, if you take that pretty expensive, whole food vitamin C complex that has 200 milligrams in, in one of the capsules, you can see you're gonna be taking half the bottle uh, uh, in order in order to get where you need to go. And so and that's why I say it's, it, it's a gimmick. Uh, it's a good product. And if people want to take everything else that's in it, that's fine. But they shouldn't be misled or even lied to that this is the only proper way to take vitamin C and that for some crazy reason, vitamin C is not going to work unless you take it with these other things that they're declaring declaring a vitamin C complex. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as a vitamin C complex. Your, your liver, like I just mentioned, Uh, and the animals it's manufacturing 24 7 or in our case should be manufacturing 24 7 ascorbate and releasing into the blood it's not releasing whole food vitamin c into the blood gotcha gotcha so
0: is there a a correct way to take it because right now in this glass of water, I've actually got like 2,000 milligrams of uh, ascorbic acid in here, not the whole food. See, I have a few bags of those, right. but I'm going to be returning those because like you said, there's no way that I can get the dosage right. that I would like. So right now I'm just consuming. I found my tolerance level is about 2,000 milligrams three times a day. So I'm hitting about six. And I've noticed that my, my skin is a lot better. Uh, my energy is way better. I just became a father and my stress levels are like through the roof and this has been an absolute miracle, a game changer for me. So uh, bowel movements are better, skin's better, energy levels are better. Is, is this fine to just drink it? Or No, should... that's,
1: that's that's a very good approach. That's a good way to do it. I mean, as as you're implying, there's many different ways to do it and a lot of it has to do with people's routine and what is most convenient and easiest for them to do. Are they sitting at a desk much of the day and they can sip on that or do they need to just take something that pop off and go to work or somewhere else where it's where it's not as convenient? So, you know, depending on your own routine, uh, whether you're dedicated to just uh, taking a few capsules of something and then being done with it for a while or whether, like you said, having something in the form of a beverage that you can sip on throughout the day. Uh, that's actually a very good way to take it. I mean, uh, it's, it's your vitamin C does you, generally speaking, a whole lot more good being taken in small amounts over greater periods of time. The absorption is better, uh, and the antioxidant coverage in your body is better. Good.
0: Yeah, I've been, uh, like I said before getting on here, I've been doing a little bit of research into your content. So thank you very much for that. And I know you... um. What about like
1: liposomal C? Liposomal C, when you can get quality liposomes, is is an extraordinary technology. A liposome is literally like a small artificial cell, uh, and it actually imitates the way that cells communicate to each other inside the body. If you will, cells communicate by virtue of, let's just call them very tiny liposomes, where the contents of one cell can go to the another cell be taken up and have a form of uh, intercellular communication. So the real benefits of liposomes when you're able to make them correctly is they are absorbed almost completely 100%, very close, without any degradation. Uh, they deliver their content into the either the blood or the lymphatic circulation And here's the important part. Until it reaches the cell, it stays inside the liposome. But once you get to the cell, the liposome, which like itself is a baby cell, it's got the same, even though it's made artificially, it's got the same biochemical membrane around it that a regular cell has. So the liposome can go up to the outside of the cell, merge into the cell wall, and then push the contents of the liposome inside the cell. And that's especially good because everything in the body is about trying to get something done with as little of an expenditure of energy as possible. Technically, energy in your body is electrons. That's your energy. And your vitamin C is an electron donator and an electron exchanger. And when you can get vitamin C inside the cell without the consumption of energy, you're one up. And the liposomes can sometimes go through small pores in the cell. Sometimes they can merge through the outside of the cell, but they don't consume energy to do that. When you take regular vitamin C orally or intravenously, it's obviously not encapsulated in the liposome. And then there's two mechanisms by which Vitamin C then gets inside the cell. One is in its oxidized form. It directly passes through the glucose transporters, uh, but it still needs to be consume energy to be brought back to the reduced active form once it's inside the cell. So the other one is active transporters, which means you need to consume energy to get the vitamin C inside. Again, sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul. What you're really accomplishing there is the energy is being used to relocate the vitamin C and its benefits. But obviously, the best thing of all, if you can get it done, and it appears liposomes can accomplish this, is to get something inside the cell, in this case, vitamin C, without consuming energy in the process.
0: That makes sense. So... You stated there also that um, vitamin C goes through the glute transporter, which would be the same as carbohydrates to get into the cell. Correct. Right. Right. So, would a high carbohydrate diet or someone that's like uh, has type two diabetes would the high inter uh, the high carbohydrate intake affect how effective vitamin C would be? Like yeah, vitamin C can't even get there
1: that's a very intelligent thought and theoretically that, that has validity, but in fact, it, it doesn't really impact the blood sugar in that fashion, but it is important to realize though there is a competition. Okay. Between in this case, oxidized vitamin C, DHAA and glucose for uptake into the cell. And when you have high levels of uh, glucose in this, in the, in the uh, in the circulation, which is also known as diabetes, okay, when you have a large amount of glucose in the circulation, you have much more competition, competitive inhibition of vitamin C getting inside the cell through the passive transport, and this is one of the reasons why, probably the primary reason why uncontrolled diabetes is so is so. Incredibly devastating on the body is because virtually all the cells are in a in a state of advanced intracellular scurvy. You just have such a hard time getting the vitamin C in there when there's so much glucose constantly uh, competing to get inside. Yes. Now,
0: now, what exactly would scurvy be? I know that vitamin C was
1: okay. Let, uh, let's define the term. Scurvy is really the state of severe vitamin C deficiency in the body. And then your body just starts to break down uh, like the British soldiers who didn't get any citrus fruit for months of times. They just die of an infection, teeth falling out, just the whole integrity of the body falls apart. So generally speaking, scurvy, yes, is a term referring to a generalized medical condition. I'm sort of modifying the term to say there are different circumstances when you have an area of the body that has a great deal of focal inflammation, maybe focal infection, which produces a lot of prooxidants that uses up all the vitamin C in that one spot. You can legitimately call that an area of focal scurvy. So I'm
0: so curious, like why we can't produce our own anymore. I I keep wanting to go back to that. And so what would be telltale signs of vitamin C deficiency? I mean, pretty much everyone has to be, especially with how much um, pro-oxidants are in the environment now. It's pretty much like our vitamin C.
1: Well, vitamin C deficiency could contribute to any symptom that you could imagine. So depending on one person, their genetic predispositions, for example, uh, a certain amount of vitamin C deficiency could have caused one array of problems or promote one one set of problems in one person and another set of problems in another person. So it all depends on where their oxidative stress that doesn't get repaired, which is what vitamin C does, has the most impact, the most clinical symptomatic impact.
0: Okay, so we have... a. Uh focal point of inflammation, and the body's job is to get vitamin C to that area. I believe that I've heard this actually in another interview of yours where uh, I think you mentioned that you think cortisol's job in the body is to get vitamin C into the cell. Absolutely.
1: that's, And this is where our genetic defect in the liver hurts us so badly. And that is and we've shown this in animals, and myself and a colleague have demonstrated it uh, with our own little experiment, but the point is, is forget for the moment about the adrenal glands and cortisol. When the body, let's talk, when the animal gets a severe amount of stress or a new infection, the blood levels of vitamin C rise, so that means they're synthesizing new vitamin C, that means body's natural response to new increased oxidative stress is to start making more vitamin C. Obviously, when you aren't able to make it, what your body starts to do is just the opposite. All that oxidative stress starts to use up all your vitamin C and you end up inducing an acute vitamin C deficiency where you should be having an acute vitamin C increase. Now, Everybody still, forget about the liver for a moment, when you have stress, increase oxidation, increase infection, the body, the adrenal glands, the adrenal cortex uh, releases a large amount of cortisol, which is chemically the same thing as hydrocortisol, okay? So it's a prescription drug insofar as you gotta get a prescription to get it, but it's a natural product. It comes from the liver. Uh, It comes from the adrenal glands. So when you can't make your own vitamin C in the, the human body, what happens is you get a stress, oxidative stress, infection. You release a large amount of cortisol. And I think this is evolutionary. The adrenal glands have come to have their own little store of vitamin C as well. So the adrenal glands at the same time reduce a bunch of vitamin C, I think, because your liver lost the ability to make it, but that can only compensate so far. So that helps for like short-term challenges, but when you have a significant long-term challenge, ultimately that's overcome. And as you pointed out, this is because, and we have the laboratory evidence to show this, it appears overwhelming, that the primary role of cortisol is to push vitamin C inside the cell. So what better fight or flight stress response could you have than something that simultaneously puts cortisol and vitamin c into your blood so you can push vitamin c inside all the cells because we talk about cortisol and corticosteroids as being potent as being the most potent anti-inflammatory agents known to medicine i say known to medicine well they're only the most potent anti-inflammatory agents known to medicine because they push the real most potent anti-inflammatory agent known as vitamin C inside your cells. So that's why they get the credit for what vitamin C does. Mm-hmm. Is And so that's why, again, people do well on short courses of corticosteroids, but long courses they don't do well because they're not taking the vitamin C with it and the unopposed corticosteroids then starts to cause all sort of problems and wreaks havoc throughout your body.
0: You know, it, it kind of reminds me of um, the pancreas, how eventually, like type two di- uh, diabetics, they can no longer produce insulin, um, and they have insulin uh, resistance. So it kind of reminds me of what's happening with the liver, how we just can't produce our own vitamin C anymore. It's like uh, the cortisol is just going to keep elevating and elevating, but it, we don't have what we need anymore, so we can't deal with the oxidation. We can't deal with the oxidative stress that we should.
1: Well, you have to also differentiate between deficiencies and burnout. Okay. Uh, in, the, in the case of the liver, it's, it's, a, it's a genetic state. It's not partial. Okay. Uh, in the case of hormones in general, Uh, sex hormones, thyroid hormone, and cortisol, okay, what we're starting to realize more and more, surprise, surprise, is that as you get older, everything gets older, okay, and glands get older, all your responses get older, and so, and also this affects what we call our normal ranges, all right, again, we're trying to make The general population normal. Okay. So is is what we call a normal level in which we get an 80-year-old to still have a normal level. Is that really normal? Or we have we just expanded the normal range so that we don't label that 80-year-old as being abnormal? Point being is it's very important in whatever a physician or healthcare provider does is to optimize testosterone estrogen, thyroid, and I'm not talking T4, T3, and cortisol, okay? Um, Your greatest reason for getting an infection is you stop making enough cortisol at the same time you have your vitamin C to deal. I mean, we're teeming with pathogens 24-7. Truly disease in us, infection, is a disease of the uh, the substrate, okay, us, the substrate. So yes, you get a humongous amount of pathogens, you're gonna get infected. But for the most part, most infections come when your endogenous pathogen exposure suddenly gets the upper hand because your vitamin C levels and your cortisol levels have seriously dropped and are no longer putting enough vitamin C inside the cells to give a normal resistance against new pathogen invasion.
0: Got it, it makes sense. Also on your PowerPoint slide that I have here, you mentioned that you believe that vitamin C is the main fuel source of the body?
1: That's the main fuel source of the body because your main fuel technically is electrons, okay? Okay. And Actually, I like to put it out this way. Your main source of new electrons in the body is from uh, a diet and from a diet that has uh, at least some plant-based foods in it. Why I say plant-based is because where do all the new electrons come from? They come from the sun. Sun, photosynthesis, photons, plants, new electrons, and then ultimately nutrient substances that provide electrons inside your body. So that's really where a quality diet comes into play is you gotta be taking quality foods in so that you're always getting in new electrons versus just recycled electrons inside your body. So in every sense of the word then, the food you eat is like the production plant of the widgets, all right? In this case, the widget is the electron. And the vitamin C is the distribution truck that gets the electrons out where they need to go, gives them and takes them, exchanges them, causes microcurrents to develop inside the cells. So in that regard, vitamin C is the primary fuel of your body because it really is the one that makes sure the primary fuel of your body, electrons, are properly distributed and maintained in a good current flow, microcurrents, which are, are measured inside the cell, yes.
0: Hmm. So I'm piecing everything together. I I like, like, uh, I've been doing a lot of research and I actually like that you mentioned uh, the thyroid. So I've been reading a lot about iodine, uh, fluoride, and I came across something literally last night, how um, there was this scientist or pharmacologist, TK Wadwani, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but he noticed some similarities between uh, fluorosis and scurvy and then i noticed that you also have another book stop america's number one killer where you mentioned that uh cardiovascular disease or um yeah cardiovascular disease is reversible arterial scurvy Right. Okay. so when i look at people we went from being this fit ish society okay. to now you can kind of walk down the road and it looks like people are melting I know that may not be the nicest way to put things, but I'm like, all right, something is, is really going on here. And from what I've read regarding fluoride, fluoride attacks the collagen and it kind of restructures the protein. So if the protein doesn't have the proper uh, structure, it's not going to function. So it's pretty much, it just, it can't do anything. It's a functional. And what I started to think about was vitamin C also helps with collagen synthesis. No,
1: absolutely. Critical, critical to collagen synthesis. Yes.
0: So that that made me just think maybe the vitamin C, one of its other beneficial. Yeah. I
1: mean, when you, when you talk about people melting, maybe not the ideal word, but it does suggest that the body is less intact and sagging and falling apart. And yes, that's structural. I mean, I don't know this to be a fact, but I've often wondered about what's the difference between firm fat, okay, and just saggy fat that's falling off the body. I think it has to do with your vitamin C status, okay? Ultimately, having too much flesh is too much food coming in over a prolonged period of time, but are you maintaining that fat in a healthy state or a disease state? I mean, when you see when you see literally just fats just sort of hanging and it's mushy, that's not much to little at all of any connective tissue having developed inside the fat. On the other hand, you can have some people that are fairly large, but uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, their their fat is almost as firm as a muscle. so it's it's, uh, yes, I think vitamin C plays a role in all of that, but I want to emphasize because I don't like people to confuse what i present as fact with what i present as opinion that particular part is my opinion okay
0: like that and uh, that's actually really interesting because becoming a father recently i no matter what i'm a i'm a coach so i work out pretty frequently i'm exercising pretty much every day i'm i'm very active but even with the the lack of sleep Uh, I guess it was just like elevated cortisol levels. I noticed that I packed on a few unwanted pounds and I'm like, where is this coming from? As soon as I started to implement the vitamin C, I noticed that, okay, I'm starting to lean out a little bit uh, again. So it's pretty fascinating to me. Just that's really why I wanted to get into this because there's so many different benefits that I don't, it's, it's essential.
1: It really is essential. Well, another thing too, little known, but, increased amounts of fat is one of the body's mechanisms to deal with excess toxins. They just sort of take them and store them. All right. Try to take them out of circulation. So you form more fat cells and you store it. And in fact, they've shown that uh, high doses of vitamin C over an extended period of time does result in weight reduction. Now, I'm not saying massive amounts, but why would that be? Well, vitamin C neutralizes toxins. So the better it neutralizes whatever excess toxins are present in your body, the less there's going to be of that, that particular uh, stimulant to, to form new fat to store away the toxins. Hmm. Would,
0: would just like stress be a toxin in itself?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no yeah. doubt about it, yeah. It, it, event- it eventually manifests at the cellular level as increased oxidation. Sometimes the pathways are a little convoluted, but ultimately uh, even psychological stress is ultimately manifest as physically increased amounts of oxidation inside the body, yes. So it, it
0: just seems that vitamin C is like the master antioxidant. I believe that you mentioned that it gives up two electrons as opposed to... Two yeah. electrons
1: per molecule, so it uh, it's small. It gets throughout the body, has two electrons per molecule, uh, and being extremely similar to glucose in structure. I mean, I mentioned that the liver turns glucose into vitamin C, uh, and we know the body is designed to get glucose throughout the body. So, essentially, vitamin C is the maybe, if you will, tag along. So. You have some other antioxidants, and this is one thing that sort of bugs me, is, a, is they try to compare a potency of antioxidants and say, oh, well, this particular antioxidant, astaxanthin for the eyes. It's like, oh, so many, 50-fold more antioxidant potency than vitamin C. Well, that's such a misleading statement because the real, quote, potency of an antioxidant is does it get where you need it to go and as is fat soluble it's not going to get anywhere almost anywhere that vitamin c can, vitamin c is water soluble mm-hmm. so th- there's a lot of people that either mislead or they don't understand okay that's certainly possible but the potency of an antioxidant is not just straightforward how easily does it give up the electrons how well does it get to the area of the body so that it could actually physically encounter the toxin or the prooxidant substance or the oxidized biomolecule to donate the electron and bring things back to normal.
0: Would there be anything that would like impede the vitamin C getting to where it should be? If it's, you're just taking the water soluble form and not the, the liposomal?
1: No, no. The only impeding is just, uh, you can quickly pass the threshold of what your gut absorbs. Even then, though, the vitamin C is not wasted just because it's not immediately absorbed because you have a lot of toxicity in your gut from food that's rotting and putrefying rather than being digested. So even when all of the vitamin C is not absorbed in that glass of water that you're sipping throughout the day, you're still promoting a healthy gut with the vitamin C that's not absorbed. Mm-hmm. And
0: there's probably like oxidative stress everywhere for everyone. So, I mean, it's, of gonna, course. it's gonna do some good work before it gets excreted. Absolutely. Uh, would there be any like contraindications any cases when you would not use vitamin C? Like say if someone had um, really bad gut issues, like a Crohn's patient,
1: well, you know, and I don't mean this to be sarcastic or snide, but it's like saying, is there any contraindication ever to eating the highest quality of food? <laughs> so th- this this is now, uh, you know, they talk about G6 PD deficiencies, rarely vitamin C causing hemolysis of the blood. I mean, anything can cause something, but there's really no safer pl- substance on the planet than vitamin C. You can actually drink enough water to go into cerebral edema, have seizures, and die. uh, Psychiatric patients have done it quite a number of times in the past. Well, if all you did was drink water and now you're dead, that kind of means the water has has a toxicity. Okay, Mm -hmm. what could be more toxic than dying? There has never been a defined level of toxicity of vitamin C above which a certain intake is toxic it just hasn't it hasn't been established.
0: You'll just have like loose stools.
1: Yeah, orally, sure. Yes. Now, last
0: little bit here, because I don't want to take too much time. We're in sunny South Florida and we spend too much time indoors. Uh what did you notice throughout COVID with vitamin C? Was
1: well, it effective? obviously. Highly effective. Uh, I mean, where where it was used properly. And that's why I say if you use a little, you can, if you use a small enough amount of anything, you're going to assure yourself of not having a positive outcome. And uh, even saying that, just giving a couple grams of vitamin C can be enormously beneficial, not only to a COVID patient, but to any other patient with any other type of uh, infection or pathogen, uh, including viral. So I think the evidence, to my satisfaction at least, okay, is very clear that if they ever just took the reins off vitamin C and uh, anytime they had a COVID patient in the hospital, just get 50 to 75 grams a day of vitamin C, they'll be out of the hospital in a few days. And that's intravenous. Right. And you know uh, the studies throughout the ages with Dr. Clener and all. Dr. Clener would use oral with his with his IV. So I mean, if you have the if you have the ability, uh, you should take it by as many routes as you can find. But having said that, uh, and you're in the situation to get high dose IV, uh, that should do the trick all by itself. Yes.
0: And you said take the reins off vitamin C and like the healthcare system. So what's exactly? The- it's just not taught, or
1: is there some type of? It's not only just not taught, it's suppressed. Okay. And so it's, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that have sent me emails in the last 15 years. Just what do I do? My patient, my family member, brother, father, sister, mother is dying on the ICU. Uh, I'm showing the doctor all these articles on vitamin C, which is very safe, very effective, very cheap. When you have those three factors and you have the literature in front of you and the physician refuses to use the vitamin C, that physician needs to be incarcerated at the minimum for involuntary manslaughter after that patient dies. And that right now is the rule, not the exception, unfortunately. So
0: what do you do? Like, what do you do in those circumstances when they just. Well, they
1: they, they need to kill a billionaire's son and then maybe something's going to happen. Because right now, lawyers don't want to touch it. Judges don't want to touch it. So, so you need somebody that's just willing to uh, uh, invest a fortune and get the uh, legal precedent out there that physicians, yes, have a responsibility to be educated. Okay. They, they, have, a, they have a responsibility of what we call in the law to exert due diligence. And due diligence is not sitting on your thumbs and doing the same thing that you've done for the last 30 years because that's the way you did it, okay? It means educating yourself. uh, And and so, but uh, we, we, yeah, we we still don't have the big case yet, but somewhere along the line, they're going to kill the wrong person's family member and we'll see something. Hopefully, I mean, not hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. It's
0: going to take to get to that point, but no. And it's just going back to what you said in the beginning, uh, trust your lying or you didn't want to trust your lying eyes or something with (laughs) like what people are doing is not effective in the medical system. So right now the reason for this podcast and all the other interviews that I've done is just to show others that there are other ways and you need to take accountability and responsibility for your own health because the people that you're going to may not be the ones that can actually help you. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, Dr. Levy, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, Definitely going to be diving more into your research and I'm already thinking about eight other things that I want to dive into now, especially with why we can't produce the vitamin C. But where
1: can my audience find
0: more of your work?
1: Peakenergy.com. P E A K E N E R G Y www.peakenergy.com and there's a lot of info on that on that website yes awesome
0: well i will put that in the show notes and i will let you know when this episode is out okay very good
1: awesome. thank you sir
0: congratulations on the baby thank you so much brother okay god bless right. enjoy the sun thank you for listening to the podcast and if you found any of this information here valuable i would love if you would share it Share it with someone that you think would also find value in it, or go ahead and just share it on social media. Show some love. If you tag me at King6Killer, I will reshare your story, I will reshare your post, and I would also love to hear your feedback. If you go to the BackToHuman.us website, that is BackToHuman.us, not .com, and go to the contact form, you can leave your feedback. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you would like to support the show under affiliations on the website, I have a bunch of products that I am affiliated with. Disclaimer, I will receive a compensation if you use my links or codes. However, these are products that I've used throughout the years on a daily basis. I only really endorse products that I truly believe in. And these are things that have made a dramatic impact on my life. I'm sure that you will see some improvement as well. So thank you again for listening to the podcast. Kill the day.